0: Welcome to the Russian Rulers History Podcast, Episode 99, Teetering at the Edge of War. Well, before I get into today's podcast, I want to apologize to all of you for not having an Overdrive episode last weekend, and it's because sometimes life happens, and things just got in the way that just didn't allow me to get a podcast out. And most notably is that I'll be doing uh, some health seminars in Australia next year in February. So if any of you are from Sydney or Melbourne, maybe we can get together when I get out there. Uh, But I had to get some things ready for it as uh, that is how I make my living. So anyways, let's get into today's episode. Last time, we recounted the events leading up to the Americans discovering the presence of missiles in Cuba and how the plan to place them there was hatched. U.S. President John F. Kennedy and his team met on October 16th at 11.15 a.m. and determined that there would be no toleration of the missiles in Cuba, and whatever way it would be done, they had to go. Soviet Minister of Foreign Affairs Andrei Gromyko was scheduled to meet with Kennedy on the 18th, along with U.S. Secretary of State Dean Rusk. At first, Cuba was not discussed, as Gromyko only talked about the German issue. But he was suspicious, as the President and Rusk were very tense. The Americans gave Gromyko, quote, every opportunity to confess knowledge of the Soviet missiles in Cuba. He didn't. Gromyko then pulled a terrible blunder. He sent two cable messages to the Kremlin, one that hinted that the Americans knew, and the other utterly unbelievable, said that the Americans were okay with the situation. while well, members of the American excom advisers to the President voted eleven to six to blockade Cuba. Robert Kennedy, the president's brother recommended that the term quarantine be used instead, as it was less provocative. Airstrikes were being heavily pushed by some, like Air Force Chief of Staff Curtis LeMay on October 21st, but Kennedy decided on the quarantine instead. The evening of October 22nd, the president had scheduled an address to the nation at 7 p.m., Anatoly Dobrynin, the Soviet ambassador to the U.S., was summoned to the State Department at 6 p.m. to be given the president's speech. Dean Rusk recalled, Dobrynin seemed to age 10 years while we were talking. And at the same time, the U.S. ambassador to the Soviet Union, Foy Kohler, delivered the message to Khrushchev. The speech given by the president recounted Moscow's Deliberate deceptions, declared a quarantine of Cuba, and called on Khrushchev to halt and eliminate this clandestine, reckless, and provocative threat to world peace and to stable relations between our two countries. Khrushchev was called on October 22nd, and he told his son quote, They've probably discovered our rockets. Nothing else would explain it. Berlin is quiet. If they were about to invade Cuba, Then they would be quiet, too. Sergei asked, what would happen next? I wish I knew. The missiles aren't operational yet. They're defenseless, and they can be wiped out from the air in one swipe. Khrushchev picked up the phone to the Kremlin. Call round to all Presidium members and tell them to gather at the Kremlin in an hour. What's it about? I'll tell them once they're there. Invite Malinovsky and Kuznetsov, too. At the Presidium meeting, Khrushchev looked at Malinovsky and said, You blew it. Just as the defense minister was about to object, Nikita said, There's nothing to say. Stay in your seat. Meeting with the fellow members of the ruling committee, the orders that were being debated went back and forth, especially when it came to the discussion about whether to allow the Soviet soldiers to use nuclear devices in retaliation, in case the U.S. invaded or bombed the island. The Moscow elite were all nervous, awaiting Kennedy's response. Troyanovsky translated the president's letter to Khrushchev. Immediately upon learning that a quarantine had been ordered, Nikita shouted, We've saved Cuba! Khrushchev then began to work on a reply. He responded by denouncing Kennedy's, quote, serious threat to peace and security and his naked interference. He further demanded that the U.S. President renounce actions pursued by you, which could lead to catastrophic consequences for peace throughout the world. By 4 p.m. of the 23rd, orders given from the Kremlin canceled all military leaves and increased combat readiness for all Soviet troops. The world was now holding its collective breaths. The CIA reported troubling information to the President of the U.S. More ships from the Soviet Union were still heading to Cuba. Would they stop in the face of full naval quarantine? Would there be an armed confrontation? Neither side knew. Kennedy sent a short message to Khrushchev asking for prudence and cooler heads and to observe the quarantine. Robert Kennedy went to the Soviet ambassador Dobrynin's office to confront his adversary. Things went back and forth until. As Kennedy headed out the door, he asked Dabrinen what the Soviet naval, naval commanders would do when confronted. The ambassador replied that they would, quote, not obey anyone's unlawful order to stop and be searched on the high seas. Kennedy said, I don't know how this is going to end since we are determined to stop your ships. But that would be an act of war, Dabrinen replied. Kennedy just walked out of the room without saying another word. Dobrynin conveyed the conversation to Moscow. No reply was forthcoming to to what some of Khrushchev's advisers called his confusion over the American response. At 10 a.m. October 24th, the US Strategic Air Command raised the alert status from DEFCON 3 to DEFCON 2, one step below outright War. Bombers all over the world were loaded with atomic weapons and many were in the air. Missiles were being prepared for launch. The next step was now up to Khrushchev. The Soviet Premier kept going back and forth, ordering ships forward and halting some of them. But then, just before the American deadline, all ships near the quarantine area stopped, with some turning back. Khrushchev sent off an angry letter to the Kennedys, asking, Who asked you to do this? And, In your heart you recognize that I am correct. I am convinced that in my place you would act the same way. Try to put yourself in our situation and think how the USA would react to these conditions. On Thursday, October 25th, Kennedy sent a reply to Khrushchev. That was in one way cold but in another, very calm, hoping to avoid conflict. According to Nikita's son, Sergei, his father was touched and impressed by the letter. So much so that when the Presidium met that afternoon, Khrushchev decided against any more confrontational rhetoric between Russian forces and the U.S. As Taubman puts it in his biography of Khrushchev, quote, In the past, Khrushchev had rattled rockets to get out of tight spots. But his atomic bluster had always been bluff. And now that bluff had been called. Under similar circumstances, another autocrat might have taken the world down in flames with him, as Hitler had, or collapsed, like Stalin did in June 1941. But Khrushchev was no Hitler or Stalin. As one dream of glory came crashing down around him, he glimpsed another in ruins. Not only would he save Cuba, but he would save the world, save it from the brink to which his own recklessness had brought it. The following day, the United States was going ahead with their plan to invade Cuba, with many on the Joint Chiefs of Staff clamoring for airstrikes. Kennedy, to his credit, kept his cool, refusing to strike. Instead, hoping to make a deal with the Soviets. When Khrushchev had gone to bed the night before, he fully expected the U.S. to have backed down. When he awoke to read the intelligence reports that the U.S. was readying an armed response, Khrushchev, according to Kuznetsov, looked like he, quote, dropped a load in his pants. Problem was, it was rumor and not solid intelligence a Russian bartender in Washington, D.C., had overheard a conversation between two American journalists talking about covering an invasion. KGB agents in D.C. mistakenly confirmed the imminent invasion report, which was sent to Moscow causing the concern. Khrushchev bluffed his way into the crisis, but there was no way to do that again in order to get out. Khrushchev dictated a letter Vague in details, but clear of intent, the Soviet Union would pull the missiles out if the Americans promised to stay out of Cuba. October 27th opened with Khrushchev in a much better mood, as he felt that if the Americans had not invaded yet, they would not do it at all, and that he could make one more demand to remove the U.S. missiles in Turkey. Sending the new deal to the Americans was one thing. To publicly announce it was another. It was yet another blunder by Khrushchev, as he hadn't anticipated the problems it would cause. If the U.S. president had agreed to that publicly, it would have shown great weakness. Robert McNamara, the Secretary of Defense, was furious. But Kennedy was okay with the deal, as the U.S. really didn't need the missile bases in Turkey but he wasn't ready to make the deal quite yet. A letter was sent to the Soviet Foreign Ministry agreeing that if the Soviets remove, quote, all weapons systems in Cuba capable of offensive use, the U.S., after U.N. verification, would give assurances against an invasion of Cuba. The message was sent at 8 p.m. Saturday, D.C. time, and delivered at 10.30 a.m. Sunday, Moscow time. But just when you thought all was going well, things almost went completely haywire. On the morning of the day the agreement was received in Moscow, an American U-2 spy plane mistakenly strayed into the Soviet airspace over the Chukotka Peninsula. Jets from both countries were scrambled, but because the region had absolutely no strategic significance, Khrushchev brushed off the incident as inconsequential. But no, the crisis wasn't over yet, as another U-2 spy plane, this time piloted by Major Rudolf Anderson, was shot down over Cuba, killing the pilot. Lieutenant General Stepan Gretschko had asked permission from Moscow to shoot down the plane, but before he ever received a reply, he or someone else gave the command. Khrushchev and Kennedy were shocked by the incident, with both being under increasing pressure to escalate the tensions yet again. Both decided that cooler heads must prevail. McNamara concluded, quote, We're going to send surveillance aircraft in tomorrow. Those are going to be fired upon without question. We're going to respond. You can't do this very long. So we must be prepared to attack Cuba quickly. If we do this and leave those missiles in Turkey, the Soviet Union may, and I think probably will, attack the Turkish missiles. We cannot allow a Soviet attack on the Jupiter missiles in Turkey without a military response by NATO. Going off script a little bit here, but I understand we were that close to total nuclear war at this very moment. Now, Khrushchev knew that because of the incident, that if an officer could decide on his own to launch a missile without prior authorization, things could go to hell in a handbasket quickly with potentially disastrous results. When Malinovsky told Khrushchev that Soviet troops followed orders from Fidel Castro in shooting down the plane, Nikita exploded. Whose army is our general in? The Soviet or the Cuban army? If he's in the Soviet army, then why does he follow someone else's orders? Well, next up was Castro's response to the deal Khrushchev settled on with Kennedy. Starting on October 26th through the 27th, Castro dictated a letter to Soviet Ambassador Alexiev to send to the Kremlin, and in particular to Khrushchev. His message was intended to do this, quote, I dare to write a letter to Nikita a letter aimed at encouraging him. That was my intention. The aim was to strengthen him morally, because I knew that he had to be suffering greatly, intensely. I thought I knew him well. The message that Castro sent, though, was, if the imperialists invade Cuba with the goal of occupying it, the danger that aggressive policy poses for humanity is so great that... Following that event, the Soviet Union must never allow circumstances in which imperialists could launch the first nuclear strike against it. The moment to eliminate such danger forever through an act of clear, legitimate defense, however harsh and terrible the solution would be, for there is no other. What Khrushchev believed the Cuban leader called for was that we immediately deliver a nuclear strike against the United States. What Nikita felt was that Fidel totally failed to understand our purpose, which wasn't to attack America, but to keep the United States from attacking Cuba. On Sunday, October 28th, Attorney General Robert Kennedy invited Soviet Ambassador Dobrynin to the Justice Department to give him an ultimatum agree to move the missiles, and we'll take ours out of Turkey, but damn it, no one can know about that last part. If anyone leaks it, the deal will fall apart. Sunday dawned on Russia, Khrushchev heard about the downed U-2 over Cuba and received Kennedy's letter agreeing to terms. The meeting of the Presidium was held outside Moscow at the Nova ogrejovo Dacha that was to hold a monumental meeting almost 30 years later, when Mikhail Gorbachev met there trying to save the Soviet Union. According to Trojanovsky, the atmosphere at the meeting was highly electric. Khrushchev was one of the few who spoke at the meeting, citing Lenin's decision to sign the Treaty of brest litovsk which, while not a good deal for Russia at the time, it did give them the peace they needed during World War I. Quote, Our interests dictated that decision. We had to save Soviet power. Now we find ourselves face to face with the danger of war and of nuclear catastrophe. In order to save the world, we must retreat. I called you together to consult and debate whether you are in agreement with this kind of decision. After some debate, Khrushchev decided that the time to acquiesce to the Americans was at hand. He called in a stenographer to prepare his response. Dear Mr. President, I have received your message of October 27. I express my satisfaction and thank you for the sense of proportion you have displayed. He went on to say that the Soviet government had, quote, given a new order to dismantle the arms which you describe as offensive and to crate and return them to the USSR. A public message was delivered to the Soviet people at the same time. His letter was received and delivered to the U.S. Embassy in Moscow. Thankfully, the message to dismantle, crate, and return was given to the Soviet troops in Cuba, which diffused the situation. Thankfully, because the Americans were planning to bomb Cuba in the next day or so, which would have precipitated World War III, a war in my opinion, would have caused the deaths of more people than had died in all the wars ever fought in human history combined. The world breathed a huge sigh of relief. Join me next time as we recount the last days of Nikita Sergeyevich Khrushchev as the head of the Soviet Union. Actually, make that two episodes from now. As episode number 100 is up next, after the Overdrive episode, where I'll answer a bunch of questions posed to me about Russian history from many of you, my loyal listeners. And I have to say, some of them are extraordinarily interesting. But there's still time, if you'd like to ask a question, where you can go to the uh, Russian Rulers uh, website at russianrulers.podhoster.com. Or join us on Facebook. We have a growing community there at the Russian Rulers History Podcast fan page where you can ask a question, make a suggestion, leave a comment. But as always, Das Vidanya is possible.